0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 12th episode of The Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, how are you doing? We're going back to the classics. How are you doing today? That
1: is a classic. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm really excited for today's episode. That's good.
0: I'm doing just peachy. Thanks for asking.
2: That's a theme you guys have going on. I've heard this throughout a couple of your episodes. Yeah. uh, Roger asking nice questions to Michael and then it getting quiet for a
0: second. It's okay. As we're seeing, we have a guest on our show today, Zach Bunn, one of the amazing members of the Team Covenant regular series that goes on. And are you a co-owner of the store itself too as well?
2: Yeah. So I, I te- in, I'm i doing air quotes that you can't see. <laughs> I'm, I'm the founder of the company, but Stephen joined really shortly after. And I always talk about the first four or five years, everyone that was involved through that, that phase being... Being founders of the company. But yeah, so I, I'm definitely, the title is uh, officially founder and CEO of Covenant.
0: And founder and CEO of the Wolfpack, which is going to be the <laughs> yeah. topic of I today's will... podcast.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a fun story. I know you guys are wanting to have some tea spilled right here. No, I'm just kidding. We love drama. Yeah. Th- first off, before we get into anything, I just want to say thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed you guys' podcast so far. And it's really just amazing to have someone you can just tell uh, you guys are very good at the game and having good discussions and even having topics like the, what do we even enjoy about this thing in the first place? It was, that was a cool episode to see. So happy to be here. And anyone out there listening, if you create content for anything that you love, kudos to you. Cause I know the amount of time and effort that these guys put in and everyone out there is putting in to do this is just uh, phenomenal. So happy to be here and excited to chat with you guys. Yeah. Thanks. We're happy that
0: you're here too.
1: Yeah. That was really nice. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs>
0: So, I guess first thing we want to talk about then is just so Michael and I are now the newest members of the WPAC at the moment, but we're curious as to what the founding initiative was behind the team. Like, what was your, what did you have in mind when you set up the, this testing team you have going now?
2: Sure. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a big story. So, I'll try not to go on because I, I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about. It's not even just the, the why behind it. But essentially, about a year ago, honestly, Right around this this time is when the Road to Nationals season was happening. The first Road to Nationals in the United States were happening for Fab, and that's when I met a friend of mine, Brendan Patrick from Arsenal Pass, and played in a tournament, had a good game, had a chat, and then saw each other again in Vegas at the the first calling in the US, and then after that actually joined his testing group and started, you know, testing Fab a, a little more frequently. Up till that point, we've been doing what I called Saturday sessions locally. I'd have, I'd invite four to eight people over to my house and we would just jam, jam fab games from like eight or nine in the morning until sometimes nine, 10 or at night or two, three in the morning, just depends on how we are feeling and what was going on. And you know, that's just, I've been playing tabletop card games for a very long time since I was nine or 10, probably really, really started playing outside of just like with my little brother, Tim at my house, started going to tournaments and stuff when I was around 10 or 11. And when I was growing up, the, it was one of the big games for me was Star Wars TCG and there was a pretty notable team that won the first world championship called Team Bus. And that was just a thing people did. They had teams. That's even where the name Team Covenant comes from. Legally, we're just Covenant. But we've gone by Team Covenant. Our domain's teamcovenant.com. Because it really, that group of people that started the company were a team of people that played card games first. So, But coming back to, to a year ago, when testing with Brendan and the Arsenal Pass crew, fast forward a little bit to, I don't know, I think it was like March-ish of this year. The timelines are getting hazy. I think the pandemic threw me off. But we were like, I don't know, five, six weeks prior to the Pro Tour. And there was this kind of very surprising moment where that group of people split up. And it was a huge lesson for me uh, and and for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the biggest ones... and, and. I'm no stranger to this, you know, having having gone from a, a company of one to where we're at now. You learn a lot about people and managing groups of people and teams and and how that functions. Of course, a testing team for a game like Fab is quite a bit different than. It's very different and very similar, honestly, to running a small company. But one of the most important things that I've learned, even just in business, it, when you're bringing someone on, onboarding a new employee, is being very clear about expectations going in and, and getting good about setting those expectations. And so, in my mind, my whole life, when you are testing with a group of people, especially people you're friends with and that you like and you hang out with a lot, there's, I've, I've never in a game or competing with a game had a moment where I switched teams. Like it's, it's always just been, like I said, those Saturday jam sessions. A lot of those people are people I've just played games with for a long time. They're local, they're friends. And past, past the first uh, couple games when we were, you know, a, back before we were a company, we would call ourselves Team Covenant. Haven't really had teams uh, Happening for the games We've been playing So it was just a very uh, I I think, you know Brendan and co Going in It was very much A testing group for them And to me It was the team So one of the things We uh, talked about When Wolfpack was starting Effectively was And part of why We chose that So I I grew up Not to go into Another side story But I grew (laughs) up And my grandpa Was huge into wrestling And that was in the 90s And so I watched Wrestling with him And so a lot of my uh, Competitive stuff Comes from wrestling Right? Even just kind of Like the over over intense, like uh, little clips of wrestlers kind of being like, watch your back, brother, that kind of stuff. So, anyways, the Wolfpack is a, a playing to the Wolfpack from the WCW in the 90s, which that's a very long story about why that makes sense. But one of the things that they were, the NWO Wolfpack, they had this thing they said, which was for life. And so kind of coming off of a, a situation where I, I was feeling very much, not abandons a strong word, but you know, we were five or six weeks for the pro tour. I was ready to amp up the testing. And then all of a sudden me and a couple of the other people that were on the the, the group didn't have a group anymore, so to speak. And we were all the kind of people that like, again, it's just expectations going in. So at this, the root of the wolf pack, right? Uh, and the, one is i really like the it's just cool to have a, a everything about it i've always loved the wolf pack and the red and black and they have the like the hand symbol that's the wolf and the for the for life thing but essentially all of us at the very core of it the beginning didn't like how that moment felt and how we were like that was not the expectation we had so the expectation we wanted to set moving forward was there's a group of people that love this game that want to have a good time playing this game that want to get really good at this game and take it seriously but don't want that to get in the way of uh, actually enjoying it and enjoying the people they were with and then also the kind of people that you know once the bonds of of teammates have formed there's not an intent or an ex- expectation that this is gonna you know switch around or I'm gonna leave and come back or any of that kind of stuff so that's a very long-winded way of answering your question I think but ultimately I, I think it was it's important just because if you are going to start a group of people, like if you're listening to this, I have to assume you probably play fab. You maybe have a team of people you test with. Maybe it's just a loose collective of people. Uh, and maybe you're you're looking to set up a team. And I think it's really critical to understand what are, it's the same with the company, honestly. You know, a lot of the big questions you have to really, early on it's easy usually, because in a company scenario, because you just, you typically have some kind of reason that you exist that's very clear and you're very passionate about. And whether it's solving a specific problem or, defeating a certain enemy or opponent or, you know, company or whatever it is. So same thing with the team. I think it's really, really critical to establish the goals and how it's going to work and just make sure before people join and before you keep adding people, what the those expectations look like. And and that just goes a long way. I mean, we've already had some, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, in, in the Wolfpack, some moments where there's conflict. And if, if you don't have those expectations set, that's a lot of times when groups can just like fall apart or people get, start getting bitter towards each other and all that kind of business, but it just keeps it clean to establish that from the start.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate you going into that detail actually, because it really helps not only Michael and I, but I'm sure all the listeners just really understand your mindset and what really goes into creating this awesome team that Michael and I've been a part of that we really appreciate so far. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts from you, Michael?
1: <laughs> you you kind of said what I was thinking. It, it does. It is nice to get some insight on.
2: I, I'd be curious to kind of turn the table around on you guys and, you know, we'll, these stories will eventually merge, but essentially ask, you know, about your history a little bit in card games, but particularly with teams and then what it was that ultimately made you want to, to, to join the Wolfpack. I'll let
0: Michael answer this one because I think he's had more experience with professional cardboard teams than I have, but...
1: Yeah, so I guess going back, my... Card game background is mostly in Magic, and in Magic, I never really had a testing team or a testing group. There was a great online client called Magic Online that I used for most of my preparation. I would play. it's a, bunch a of strong needs. word, but go on. <laughs> okay, it was it wasn't great. It was <laughs> very convenient though, and basically, you could everyone that was playing on there, like you were putting money up to play every round you played, not actual money, but. In-game items that were essentially worth money. And you could then sell them if you won and you would lose them and have to buy more if you lost. And so most of the people that were playing on there were at least like reasonably serious and reasonably competitive. So I relied pretty heavily on Magic Online to get a lot of my magic testing in. And then when we moved to Flesh and Blood, there's not really a program like that. So before the callings in Cincinnati and Orlando, me and Roger would play against each other and We'd play a lot together, but it's not really enough to play with two people to really like figure out a whole format when there's not a ton of information out there for the game. And like, there are some deck lists being shared, but there's a lot of stuff to still figure out. This game's really young. There's not a ton of people playing it and there's not a ton of information out there. And there's no like centralized online system where a ton of people are grinding out games publicly for you to see what's happening and see what the best is. So I think we started looking for a team because we kind of, At least I felt like between the two of us, we couldn't figure out a format by ourselves. So we kind of had for New Jersey shortly, oh, I guess shortly after Indianapolis, I actually ended up meeting Brendan Patrick because he missed his flight for to go home after the calling in Indianapolis or he didn't miss his flight. It got uh, got pushed back. Yeah. And so he actually ended up coming over to my house and we played some games and then a few days later, he's like, hey, would you and Roger be interested in testing with us for New Jersey? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. We've been looking for people to test with. That would be a great opportunity. So we ended up testing with them for New Jersey. And most, most of the experience was pretty good, but there wasn't... Uh...
0: Clear expectations set, once again.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a big yeah. deal, man. <laughs> there weren't clear expectations. And I, d- I wasn't on the same page as them about what, being, what testing together actually Man, I thought I thought we were a team. Also, I kind of it, it was just a little bit different than what I expected. So we decided sure. to part ways with them, and then we looked around for a while and we found one. We other never one. really found a yeah. group that really fit. We were with another team for a very short time, but we it, that that wasn't a great fit either. So yeah, me I and mean, Roger were. Talk- oh,
2: I was ahead. I was just going to ask kind of a follow up, which is uh, I can tell you know you're being a little sensitive because obviously it wasn't a great fit, and there's no. I, I assume there's no uh, desire or need need to be you know have animosity or whatever but like what you know if you can I mean I'm c- curious there's there's a lot of different reasons people aren't a great fit right and and I see this when you're like hiring new people to join a, a team when you're at three people and you're going to four people it's like culturally that has to be a really good fit or it it's gonna be really a problem so I don't know do you have any examples of like what that doesn't what that means I guess?
1: Yeah, I guess it's kind of a cultural thing. It was like, they were just, I don't want to say they, there was a specific person in the group that was pretty abrasive over
0: text chat. Hmm. And then... They just were kind of like a little bit more like internet broy culture almost. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And people are allowed to make jokes or do whatever they want once they're comfortable within a friend group and stuff like that. Like, I get that, but... It's a little bit more daunting, like when you're a newbie or somebody who's not familiar with the in-group trying to be welcomed in and people not really welcoming us in a way that we felt was appropriate. Um, And just kind of some of the in-team interactions just made us a little apprehensive. Gotcha. So So it's
2: almost like uh, the vibe, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're, even if you were just hanging out, at dinner with someone, there's some people you can just kind of be comfortable with and organically talk to for a long time. And then there's some people that that's more of a challenge. Um, and it's, it's nothing. It just is. You're, you know, maybe different
0: in whatever different way. Right. And we weren't going to like, st- like put our foot down and say, this is unacceptable or whatever, because that's their team. You know, we're the outsiders. We got it. So we just said, hey, we're not comfortable with this group, but, you know, best of luck. And we're just going to look elsewhere for our testing. And they
2: understood yeah. that and we moved on. And by the way, that's. That's so helpful on both directions, saying that early. if you're feeling that way and you're in a group like it's way better to get that out of the way than it is to just kind of like linger and you know hope that it kind of resolves itself, itself for sure
0: and michael and i are really close you know obviously i start every cast by saying you know he's my best friend outside of being my co-host and all that stuff so i'm always checking in with him for how he's feeling on a situation so like even when we joined the wolfpack i was like so after a week i was like so how are you feeling about this what are you what are your thoughts overall and we'll just kind of like talk about it and make sure we're always on the same page about any interaction or anything so even our own friendship that's something we really value
2: sure it's it's nice too when you're joining a team because like if you're joining a team of people that aren't just like local people you already know joining with a friend is actually super helpful right because you you do at least have that person that it's just like if you went to school to a new place right have, having someone that you know and are
0: familiar with is 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 helpful for a lot of reasons yeah of course so good i'm glad we're all on the same page for like what we want on the Wolfpack now, and I think that's what's led to it being a great fit so far. But as far as like what the actual day-to-day expectations are and like setting a schedule and even some of like the evaluations we've done, like what do you think is like, it, not I don't want to say most important, but what do you think goes into like that hopefully generating results or success or something like that?
2: Oh uh, man, it's a really good question. Uh, so it's, like I said earlier, it's it's a lot like managing a, a group of people, like a small business, but there's a lot of ways it's different too in that, you know, one of the things from early on that I, even when I was in the Arsenal Pass group, I obviously, my day-to-day job is managing people, both sometimes fortunately and sometimes not. The it It's about tabletop games, right? So when I'm being competitive at a game, as an example, or attempting to be competitive at a game like this, that's kind of a, an outside of my day-to-day moment for me. It's, it's where I just kind of get to be me and don't have the respons- same responsibility. So it's funny because with the AP group, I was very much trying not to, I was just trying to be a, a member, if that makes sense. Like, mm. I, There were definitely problems that later, once everything was falling apart, it was like, oh yeah, these are problems I, I too noticed, but I didn't see myself as in charge of this. So I was letting the leadership handle it right. or not handle it. That That's their call. So one of the other pieces with the Wolfpack was like, I, I both wanted it to be more clear how it was going to go, but also was not necessarily 100% just looking to, you know, be the the dominant voice. Wanted it very much. That's another thing that I like about calling it a wolf pack is like, it's very much a a group, a close group of people that are working towards a a similar goal. And so, you know, I I think the reality is you guys were saying it earlier, like for the two of you to solve a meta, I I think that's impossible unless you had significantly more time in your week. (laughs) And I, I know, I know you don't. So one of the things that, from the start was I, f- I had a sense that for a, a testing team in fab to actually be most productive for most of the AP testing time, we were at like four to six people. And I think the ideal number in a group, and this is just my my thesis, right, is probably 10 to 15. And I say that for two pretty pretty notable reasons. One is the width of the CC format and how, how much this game rewards being practiced and good with a particular hero so when you play against you know one of the early additions to the Wolfpack, we call him prism mike (laughs) it kind of goes by mike lander now but prism mike's not going anywhere and early on right he was he was saying you know i I think that prism has an easy match into briar and i was just like uh uh-uh no way. I disagree totally. <laughs> it's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, day one, he tests uh, into uh, Ian, who was on Briar, and, and he and he actually won three, two or three games in a row as Prism. I was like, huh, oh, that's interesting. So then day two, he tested it into Tim, I think. And it was like, he also won two or three games. Like, huh, that's really interesting. And then day three, he tested it into me, and I, I beat him three in a row. And I only really share that story because, like, I had been getting a ton of reps on Briar. And I was very, very comfortable with the Prism match. Next, The next day, he actually beat me twice in a row. He adjusted, and then I had to adjust, and back and forth it went. The reality that like you can play against even someone who's a pretty decent player at a certain hero, and still really not even be getting... The you know the full scale of what that hero is going to do, and sometimes it's really simple. It's just the an equipment change or a, a fundamental st- the way you're playing the rounds, right? The the match is is a little different, and just the this even just a little bit of skill uh, as a player. So the reason I say all that is. I think you need a big enough group of people that you can start to have some experts at certain heroes. And one of the nice things when new sets are coming out is, you know, like in this using Briar as another example, uh, Uprising came out, and she she got some tools that she can use. You know, I think Sift is an incredible card for her. The recognition for me is like all those reps I've been getting on Briar for, since she came out haven't really gone anywhere. I mean, I've been I've been playing Earth Briar since Tales of Arya came out, and so having enough people that you can actually maintain some kind of expertise like that. and then the second second reason there is if draft is going to be an actual half of this competitive format when there's draft and sealed available, obviously I think practically you need at least eight people and really if you're like you know also a lot of experience managing local communities, which is somewhat similar to the same same reality. the uh, expect if you're gonna have eight on any kind of routine basis to practice a draft, you probably need 10 to 12 people. Because people are going to be out on vacation, people are going to be sick, people are going to be having to go into work early, all that kind of stuff, or stay at work late. So I don't know what the right number is, and the re- I, I don't even really remember what the original question was. I got off on a tangent. <laughs>
0: it's okay. <laughs> I just started, I looked down, and i like, wait a Is there all important the things to making sure success or uh, trying to have success on a team and stuff like that? That was the original
2: yeah. question. All right, I, okay, all this is leading to the point of, I. I. I it's not a solved puzzle. I think... One of the, the things you have to do to solve complex problems like this, whether it's building a deck or building a company or whatever, is you just start and you have make sure that everyone is, uh, feels safe and communicates and has a place to speak up if they have an idea or if, they, if something's going wrong. And you do the process, you see what the results are, and then you iterate and, and make changes. And that that mentality, I think, is super important. So, you know, one of the as just as an example of this, early 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 Wolfpack days, the very beginning, I think it was Ian, Tim, me, and Dante talking. And one of the things we had previously been doing on the AP group was we had like we had a spreadsheet where every time you'd play a game, you'd add what, who was the winning hero, who was the losing hero, did the winning hero go first or second, who what person was playing this hero, what person was playing hero B, and then there was a column for like. Do you have any notes about this match and how it happened? And I've, I've definitely, that was the first time I had been that granular in gathering data. Prior to that, in my testing, you know, I would I would usually just have my favorite decks and play them a lot. And then I, I could mentally tell you kind of how I thought it was. And then sometimes you would like literally keep track. It's like, oh, I'll play this match 10 times and see what the win rate is kind of a thing. But coming to the Wolfpack, one of the things we were talking about is like, essentially how much information gets buried in that column of the spreadsheet where you're, t- you're posting the notes of how this went. And at some point I'm looking at a thing with 200 lines of games that have been played with bunches of paragraph and like, it's not really that helpful to me. So we made some adjustments, which was, you know, we have a, in our team discord, we have a, a channel for every hero. And then after, you know, a, a play session, not only do you report the data, improve that process too, but you report the data and then go into the there's that hero channel and you post what was your record, who, were you, what were you playing against and then no, thoughts and notes, right? Like what, what went well, what were you testing? What were you curious about? What do you want opinions on? And that is like a really phenomenal just like prompt uh, when you're, a lot, it's happening all the time, right? If you have enough people too, it's just constantly that's being updated and that's more useful because it just kind of prompts discussion and then, you know, recently one of the people on the team is my longtime friend, Eric, who up until he qualified for nationals and his 11-year-old son qualified for nationals, he was a limited player. He's one of the best limited players of any game I've ever, like, I played a lot of games with him. He's just got that brain. He got the limited brain. But he was, like, starting to try to figure out how to get constructed. So he he actually went through and read every hero, every update uh, since Uprising hit uh, to kind of catch up on the meta. And uh, it was really nice, too, because he was focusing on one or two heroes, so he could literally go to that channel and just see not only all the updates, the one-way updates, but then all the discussions, right? And I think that's one of the biggest upsides of having a team is that you have a group of people that can have ideas and have thoughts. And another example of that, I know, I think it was you, Roger, that came in and was like, hey, I would really like us to independently rate all the Uprising cards for Limited from one to 10, and then compile those results and have you know group chats where we actually go through and... Talk about the differences and why we rated it certain things, and make cases and stuff. And that was like so helpful for me going into the road to national season where I was playing three limited uh, road to nats. And one of the upsides of having a group of people is there's a lot of smart people in the room, and there's a lot of good ideas. And if the culture is right, I think that you can actually get really powerful innovations and improvements. And we'll see. I mean, I road to nats season went went really well for the the wolf pack. I think we had all but two of us qualify
1: trying to look if I can find yeah, It's everybody it. but
0: me and Steven <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know Steven. I need to go uh, back and uh, reevaluate all my uh, draft opinions and put Ice <laughs> a zero for all of them because I'm never just, drafting that hero just again. none yeah
2: so so you know we had uh, the vast majority qualified for nationals it was a really good season we had a ton of wins of road to nationals in, in the team so those results were good I think the pro tour we have six six people going to the pro tour from the team and then obviously a bunch of people going to their respective national championships so we'll see See if the process is working, but that's one thing to, to highlight about any of this stuff is like this is all a work in progress. I've I've never had a team this big, which is crazy, and that that comes with different realities. Like I I forget who was I was playing against um, Brian the other day, and it was like man, I haven't I I haven't played against Brian in like a month because mm-hmm. uh, because the group's that big, right? I mean, you could play a different person every day, and it's going to take you two weeks before you see the same person which is crazy. Right. Like that's that's actually very different. So I don't know what the right number is. The right number might end up being 50. Who knows? But right now we're in that 13 to 14 pocket, uh, which I think is, is... That's kind of the the science experiment
0: that's going on now. And we'll, we'll see what results follow. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think the size of the team has felt really good. And just in... Whenever... I, I, I don't think going twenty plus really makes sense for <laughs> a team, anyway. Just because yeah. it's hard to find, you know, even fourteen people that have a similar, you know, vibe setting with, between each other, and just that mindset of still taking things seriously enough, and then also like somewhat equal skill level. Like, obviously, I don't think anybody on the team is as quite as good as Michael Hamilton, as the Elost shows. He's, he was the number one rated c- classic constructor player in the world for a while. Did you know that, Zach? I, I'm painfully
2: aware. You know. uh, yeah, it's hard, hard to dispute, you know? I mean, but yeah, I agree with you, right? That's a lot of people to line up principally and then also even just commitment and skill-wise. I think that's the other part of that, which is for us specifically, I think the, the number, the first ask on, not really first ask, but first is like, okay, let's talk about what you're looking for and why you're playing this game. But the second one is, are you available Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. Central Time? And willing to play webcam slash TTS games, and if the answer is no. Then you're pretty much just out. Because right. for me, I know how important that repetitive interaction is, and not just having like an online group where we talk about things, but like just those touch points where you're playing against a different person every day and having that interaction. That's how teams are formed, right? And that's how ideas happen. That's how progress happens. And so, and we also test on the weekend, but that's a little more flexible because of life and and everyone. Uh, and the actual events know. usually happen
0: on weekends.
2: But that's, you know, that's one bar that people have to jump. And there's a lot of people that aren't available during that specific time. And that also rules out a lot of international interest, right? In right. terms of like uh, adding people from, that was one of the problems when the in the AP group is half the team was in New Zealand, like <laughs> yeah. Australia. So like they were staying on till two in the morning to test with us at six in the morning. It's like, this isn't great for anybody. Like <laughs> everyone's tired.
1: What are we doing? Why? Why? Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I guess you kind of mentioned there are, I think 14 was the number you said we have right now. Uh,
2: it's it's a big there? enough group that I have to go verify really quick. It depends if you oh, want to count sure. Steven or not, you know?
1: Yeah, that is,
2: <laughs> I mean, it's important. It always messes with me because we have that flesh and bot in the channel. So like when I go look, it says how many people are online and offline and it's 14, but it counts that bot. So yeah, we're at 13. And, you know, we, we actually brought in Eric and Steven specifically to be limited specialists. Mm-hmm. Um... Eric's flexing a little bit now because he qualified for nationals and he wants to play. But I think that's another, if, if that's going to be a genuine format, having some people that are kind of the experts at constructed, some people that are kind of the experts at limited, and then having a bunch of people who can generate data and test out theories and test out stuff and provide, you know, we had 13 people going to road to that. So you're getting a ton of data on how things are going and if this is what we expected or not. And did that evaluation make sense or not? So that's just a, that's, that can be. It's like big enough to actually have a volume of data, but not so big that it's a crowd and like people get lost in the noise, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But yes, 13. 13 is the answer currently. And like, you know, one of the weirder things is obviously like I do the, the weekly live stream with Covenant and then like the there are some pretty notable players on the team. And so even if not, but because it's some some players are known and just general with 13 people, we actually get a really high number of requests from people to join the the team oh um yeah you guys might not be aware of that but so if you're listening to this and you're like oh man i'd love to be on that team we're currently kind of on cap i want to test this out through pro tour slash national championship probably all the way through the world championship and give everyone on the team and a chance to evaluate like what did what were the upsides what were the downsides what do you wish would change how are you feeling do you want to keep doing this anymore but the and, you know, it's tough because like a good friends of mine are asking, hey, I have a really good friend. He's good at the game, wants to join the team. Right. And it's like, uh, well, so even like when we when you guys were the last last to get added, but not long before you got added. I have some friends from my Star Wars Destiny days, Andrew and John. And Andrew actually won the final world championship for Star Wars Destiny. And I met up with him at the pro tour. He was doing really well. I think he started in New Jersey at like 10 and 0. Wow. And then lost the next four in a row and then didn't make the cut or whatever. It was like really brutal. But anyway, so we had added them not very long before you guys. And even adding them, it was kind of like we were going from, you know, if you count without Steven, we were at eight, basically seven Mm -hmm. or eight. And it was like, okay, we're going to add a couple. And like they're from another area. So like this would be a nice, like just additional inputs because different regional local metas are are different. (laughs) The, the, they they behave differently. The Oklahoma Texas meta is like really uh, not the same as the the overall meta, which I learned very quickly. But anyways, we had them, and then you guys came along, and I had talked to Roger a while back actually, and it was just like we it was, it was a decision to make, right? Like, and at that point, it was like if we add here, we we're gonna. Put pause. <laughs> we're, we're gonna hold hold the line here for a minute. But yeah, that's been interesting too. Because like, there's some people I really like that have been asking about. Are there spots? Can can they join? And having to say no, especially when it's not fun. Especially when you like the person and think they're really good at fab. Like, but again, there there has to be has to be a line somewhere. Well, speaking of
0: not fun, and also from a boss mentality, then on that note, could you ever see having to unfortunately like make cuts from the team? Like, because if so, I I, th- I could probably start packing my bags. I could see me being one of the first ones <laughs> cut. <but. laughs> Yeah. I mean, I honestly,
2: like that's, uh, (laughs) yes, I could, but ultimately to me, it would not be like a unilateral, I'm making this decision. And at least in my experience, when you, when expectations are clear, expectations are clear with like, even with employees, it's, it's never, I've only had one time where I've actually fired someone and it was like a surprise. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a while ago and something happened that was just kind of too bad to allow on any level whatsoever. So uh, the same same would be uh, be true of the Wolfpack, I assume, which is like, if someone did something truly heinous, it's not like, hey, I, I'm kicking you out and never want to interact with you again. But at the same time, like, this is not an allowable you know, it's un- whatever, unethical behavior or whatever. So you talk about really that about bad about
0: Bolton or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, like if they had to do something real serious, right? But other than that, like for me, and that's kind of comes back to the, the expectations of why you're here in the first place being so important, which is the goal is to have a group of people that enjoy being around each other, that love playing this game, that are committed to getting uh, as good as they can at the game. And that's really it. It's it, There's no expectation. I I, I, say, I say this in like the welcome message before I officially add people. There's no like you have to play the best deck or we're expecting results. Your elo has to be a certain way for you to be on the team. And, you know, I've, I've seen this throughout my life. Like there, there are players that are good at different things. And sometimes players are really, really good at tournaments. And... You know, for me getting in that, like at the pro tour, big moment playing against Sasha on stream. He's on Kano. It's like a pretty big round, round 13. If I win this one, I need one more and I win, I'm in the top eight. And like in that moment, like if, if you like look at my heart rate on my uh, watch, like my uh, Apple watch or whatever, it's probably normal. Like I, I'm not like, you know, stressed out basically. And so some people can't do that. But at the same time, you know, it's like role players in sports. I don't know how much uh, you guys are into sports, but... Oh, Michael loves
0: sports. All the sports ball. <laughs> uh- <laughs> sports ball.
2: <laughs> but yeah, his ba- basic example that everyone knows is like Michael Jordan. And it's like, clearly he's the greatest basketball player of all time. But at the same time, like, there were really critical people on that team that what are, are what I call role players. So having a group and like, as long as people are participating, you know, that, but that's a, another thing to outline is like, are there, are there things that could get someone removed from a team like that's good to know going in instead of something happening and then now you have this like really awkward situation like hey so and so did this really awful thing or so and so like what happens when a player just stops playing right and realistically uh you know again one of the requirements up front was are you available monday through friday and it's not no one's check there's not a roll call we're not seeing how often people are playing but if, if it's a month where someone wasn't on like a, a vacation for the whole month or something and they only get two or three games in, and that's a consistent pattern at some point, you know, it's like, it's, it's been fun having you, but obviously you're taking up a spot on the team and not really contributing. So that's cool. But either that needs to change or we're going to fill that spot with someone else. Like, no, it's, there's no personal here. It's just, this is, this is, <laughs> this is not what, why we are again, spots are limited. So we can't just have people sitting around.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk to uh, a question here. At Michael, is there anything that you feel that we've done so far with the Wolfpack that's been particularly helpful in our prep for uh, Lil coming up? Great question. <laughs> oh wait, wait—is this is a question for me, right? Yes, yes. Okay,
1: I guess Zach already kind of talked about this, but one thing that I have found really helpful is posting like the summaries of what we t- what our takeaways from the games are, and like, hey, this happened in my game, and I did this, or I tried this card out, and. It was good in this spot, but it felt awkward for this reasons. And then other people ask questions, and that, like, really gets you thinking about kind of the opinions you formed off the game. And then they present other situations or other cards, and they're like, what if we did this in that spot? Would this solve the same problems you're trying to solve with this other card be better in other spots as well? And just, like, that discussion that's happening so frequently and, like... Is it organically the right word to describe it when I'm like- yeah, just it's like, like very natural. Yeah, yeah. It's just natural discussion. And I found that really helpful. And I feel like that's done a lot for like tuning lists that we're working on and just like either dismissing our ideas or deciding to pursue them more.
2: How, I know there've been some uh, lists that you've been tuning as it were, and other people- are tuning the same list. So is that is that new for you? Because like I feel like even in the AP group, which would have been smaller, maybe at some point you you pick the deck that everyone's gonna play, and now you're all focused on the same thing. But like even in the early stages that we are up to this point, has uh, it's been cool to watch that happening. Especially because I know you're working on some stuff with alongside John, and he's just kind of like you guys seem like very different types of players and deck builders. And seeing those two approaches come into the same hero, it's like. It's been really fascinating as an outsider, just watching that happen. I can't contribute that much to it, but anyways, I'm curious your take on like, if that has really also been helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. John's had, John has a lot of ideas and some of them I'm like, that's crazy. There's no way I'm doing that in the end. <laughs> but like, even just seeing what he's trying to do and like, sometimes just like taking part of what he's doing has really helped a lot.
2: I mean, I think that's just teams, man. Like having, having different approaches is really cool. To the same problems,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I know for me, like one of the cards I've been questioning recently, and I know Roger's gonna get a kick out of this is Sonata <laughs> Arcanics. Oh no, <laughs> which you know, I, I posted about like I don't know, three or four weeks ago. I started, I, I'm it's not unknown that I'm a huge fan of viscerai and Briar, and so I was just like kind of really questioning this card that has kind of been in the I don't know if you guys are this way, but it's like been in my auto include stack for a long time the core of the deck as it were where it's just like oh this is part of the f- somewhere between 40 and 52 cards that are in every every time every matchup regardless and it only takes missing so many of those at the right time before you start asking the question like should i be doing this one thing i really appreciated was like roger came on the other day i was like i ah, would never play this card like no way the variance <laughs> is too high <laughs> uh, and like, it's, it's, it, he, he expressed his opinion and then like, essentially I was giving the reasons in either this Rye, Breyer's case, like why, why you should or shouldn't be running this card. And then it kind of just, there was no, it, it's not consensus, right? It was just like the end conclusion was like, I think at some point Roger literally said, well, I expressed my opinion. I'm, I said what I said and I'll be seeing you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> Which,
0: but I thought that was good, right? That's healthy. That like, yeah, i will just agree. I think I said we'll just have to agree to disagree, basically. um I think yeah. it came down to like risk tolerance. I think was like my biggest factor against it. it. Was like if you are comfortable with like a certain level of risk in your deck, it makes sense to include it. But like if you're just looking for more consistency and lower risk, then it, you don't want Sonata basically at this moment. So that was kind of what I was trying to argue. Yeah, I. I...
2: And I'm I'm a very risk tolerant person. I'm very risk
0: adverse. I work in uh, my my day job is working in like bank compliance and mortgages and like underwriting and mortgage servicing and like so anything (laughs) (laughs) anything that's a risk I'm like I'll take a real strong uh, (laughs) look at that. Yeah, which is really funny. I forgot I forgot who said
2: it, but I and I forgot what deck I. I think I was playing Visri, and you know Visri I think has some some high highs and some some painfully low lows. And someone was basically, it may have been you, Roger, I don't know. It uh, was saying that vi- you couldn't play this ride because like the variance is just too high across, right, the, yeah, across it, the hero. It, it, yeah. And I was thinking about that over the weekend. And I, I, at some point I was like, you know, now that I'm seeing more of it, it's like, well, it's because, you know, he's, he's constantly just seeing Michael play old him. And like, that's like the least variant hero in the game. Like he's, he's insanely just does what he does. Right. And it's like, you're not, you. but my whole, like I started fab with Bravo and then very quickly after that, discovered Viscerai. And Viserai for a long time was my main main deck, probably from like January-ish of 2021 all the way until Briar came out in Tales of Arya. Viserai was 95% of my constructed games. And then, of course, Briar started that percentometer on her got high pretty quick, but and back then it was even worse. I mean, we didn't have spellbound creepers. We didn't have Rosetta Thorn. We didn't have gloom bale. Like it's, it's, he had just some of the most potato hands you can imagine, (laughs) uh, (laughs) back then. And, you know, no no one that I'm playing with frequently was even playing Guardian at all, uh, which are the, probably the the opposite side of that spectrum, which is kind of funny that those are the two of the heroes and classes I gravitated towards. But it just occurred to me, it was like, no wonder you don't like variants. You're used to heroes that just don't have any. Yeah. That would be nice. Like, I, I, it's almost like not even, in my brain, real fab, because everyone else, all the other heroes on some level, are, it, it is real fab side so note. That's not a cut.
0: But it's up just your like, Second cycle, you know, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, it's like what's the second cycle? By the time we get there, I'm on a stack of blues. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or even some of the heroes like that. I I, I did. I, didn't play that regarding like Bolton so like Bolton was like I, I played him in Orlando because I sat down with my hyper geometric calculator and did the math and I was like okay well as long as I have this level of filtering and I can draw X cards per turn like I'm like 35% to hit the combo by like turn four and like 70% to hit it by turn eight so as long as I can live to turn eight against Briar by blocking with two cards and charging my card and soul then I have a very consistent game plan that mathematically works out and that's why I played Bolton and then same thing with Rye in Indianapolis because I was like okay well the deck was just stupidly consistent because skeletta just fixed all of your you know potato hands just because it's skeletta and so that's why i'm leaning towards like decks that are also going longer now like either prism a guardian or something like that bravo in uh lil just because once again i'm gonna have a very consistent game plan that i'm gonna know that i'm implementing turn after turn, round after round, that hopefully contributes to success. Yeah, and one of the, uh,
2: just a weird side notes about Viserai and Skeleta, is like part of it was not even that it made it more consistent, but it just made the games like three turns. So, <laughs> the odds of hitting those inconsistent turns, you know, if it was like one in five, there were a lot of the games where you go three turns and not see it a weird turn and the game's over. Right. Just see you later. So, anyways, that that was one of the, the hits when I started because, again, I love Viscerai. So once Skeleta got banned, or re- what did they get? Suspended? Suspended, yeah. It really should... Oh, I, won't, I won't go into that. It's a different <laughs> topic. Um, I was like, oh, well, uh, let me just see. Like it, It's going to feel a lot more like old-style Viscerai, where I wasn't trying to combo off or just be pure aggro. But realized very quickly, it was like, he's better than he used to be, because he has a lot more tools than he used to have. But he's also now just too slow um, at that time, for particularly Chain and Starvo. Like, he's, he's just not... He has these inconsistent turns and also is just like slow, so slower, which is a problem. So that's been fun. How how are you guys feeling about Lil specifically? So you have a team at your back and we've been testing. I'm curious to hear from you on this a little bit. Do you want
1: to go first, Roger?
0: Sure. So... Overall, I think the testing prep for class Constructed obviously has been going really well. I think we're all honing in on the heroes we want to play, tuning our lists really well at the moment. I think we're going to have a really good understanding of what heroes will be represented across the board and having solid game plans into that. But obviously, given that we're a, you know a mostly remote team with people all across the northern United States, Canada, and stuff like that, where it, it, it has made drafting awkward and... I I didn't even do the TTS drafts just because I'd, I you guys were basically getting the drafts done over TTS and then like not having time to play games before anything happened and yeah so I think that's the biggest hole in my prep so far and I think that showed over the cross like that's why I'm the only team member to have missed not qualifying for Nats because my draft performance was so bad. I did two draft road to Nats and the Classic Instructed one, you know, I made top eight. I just happened to run into a bad matchup twice and that was the end of the tournament. So in Classic Instructed, I feel very confident that I'm going to pick at least something good and I'm going to have a really well-tuned list, but think I need to actually double back into limited at some point here. Maybe just go back and like memorize the spreadsheets and pick orders and things like that and just start reading things on the mat now.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a tough format to to test. It takes a lot of people and a lot of time right. versus the constructed concept that you've been been working on. It's also crazy for me. I, I'll, Michael, you, uh, how are you feeling at this point?
1: Yes, I, I was gonna say my opinions are or feelings are pretty similar to Rogers, where I feel underprepared for draft and like pretty comfortable and confident with class constructed. I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on the metagame and the different decks and like having good matchups. And I'm pretty confident with the hero I'm playing. I (laughs) could still throw a curveball at the end, but uh, we've got.
2: Guardians
0: are good and Michael feels confident. What are the odds? (laughs)
2: Yeah, we've been on our weekly. So another thing we do that's kind of, now that we're at a larger group of people that I didn't mention earlier, is we restrict, you know, when you're at six people, you get on at 6.30, you can chat for five or 10 minutes and kind of see how everybody's doing and check in and stuff. Uh, But when you have 13, if everyone just gives us 30 seconds on how they're doing, it's like that's seven or eight minutes of our time. So we kind of limit most of the like longer form discussions to either Monday morning, or if people finish up games and there happen to be a group getting together that have time to keep talking after the eight o'clock time frame. But we've been doing the oddsometer every week too. Like I've been tracking like what are the odds that you play what heroes for people going to the pro tour, and my goal has been to to lock into a hero this week the whole time because I think that's another in talking about testing and getting ready for a big event like this. I always really do not like getting to like the week before an event and still not being 100% sure what I'm playing. It's just, it's stressful. And it also leaves, it's like a lack of focus. So it leaves your brain open to things, right? Like I'm I'm thinking about, have this idea in the back of my mind on how to make this deck better or this deck worse, or this deck actually able to beat certain matchups or whatever. But once you hone in, I think that that focus is really powerful. And it's really helpful to have a larger team because you can basically have once people, you know, in air quotes, let's say 99% lock in, you're not completely leaving other options off the table. It it could be, you know, that you, we think deck A is the best deck and I'm picking that deck. And then all of a sudden a deck comes out of testing. It just doesn't lose to that deck A ever. We broke Azalea
0: guys. We did it. (laughs) Hey,
2: you heard it here first. We weren't supposed
0: to say anything. My bad. I thought this was team meeting. Sorry.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it's easy. We drifted into that. It kind of feels similar. But yeah, so I, I'm 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 also feeling pretty comfortable. My three favorite heroes in the game: Bravo, Viserai, and Briar. The, the hardest part is I think all three of them are valid picks at this point, and I I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, unless you're just not following the meta at all. And so choosing between them is just like <laughs> actually very challenging. So we'll we'll see where I end up, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I do think I like that my three favorite heroes that I might play are heroes I've played a lot of games with so it doesn't feel like I need as much time but once I pick I'm with you guys having a limited format be basically half the tournament is it's like nice to have this smaller pocket of things to consider and really explore to me like a lot of games I've played in the past I'm curious I I have no idea how that works for magic but most of the games I play when a new set comes out the meta just completely shifts and then you know you have some general skill that carries over because of all the reps you've been getting in but in terms of constructed uh lessons and learning, it's just so different that like it's not like you get to carry most decks meta to meta to meta. How how is this experience compared to like magic for you guys?
1: So magic is kind of closer to flesh and blood, I'd say, where like when new sets come out, maybe new decks pop up, but the old decks are usually still like playable and they might have to adjust a little bit. For standard though, there's a rotation every year where like half the format just becomes not legal to play anymore. So those are always like the big shakeups that happen once a year. But like set release isn't usually a huge shakeup. It's usually like maybe one or two new decks come out and some old decks have to adjust their sideboard plans to fight the new decks or maybe get like one or two new cards that like pushes them up a tier.
0: And one of the things that Flesh and Blood's going to do in the long term with the Living Legend format, I think is going to hopefully start to mirror what the most popular way to play competitive magic was which were called like eternal formats. So in magic, that means like legacy. So that's like from the original alpha set from like 1992 all the way to present. So every with there's banned cards that are obviously super too good or powerful. So there's a ban list on it. But for the most part, anything that ever in magic's history is allowed to be played in legacy. Then around 2006 2007 they created another format that was a hard stop and it said well the modern format and so it created like a more long form tournament but you couldn't play with like the old or older cards because they just started to feel so different so they modernized now i'm doing the air quotes and you can't see (laughs) (laughs) uh that eternal format it's called modern and modern has been like the most popular way to play magic i think since its inception just because it's very fun dynamic usually the games are and you get that long form consistency with a deck so once you pick a modern deck it's very rare that a new set will come out and either completely invalidate or completely reshake up the format in a meaningful way so you get to stick with like the same deck over a very long period of time in like modern specifically and when living legend carries over and once like well chain is just going to be legal for forever so if you just want to play chain once living legend pulls comes around and it's four or five years from now and no matter what happens you just love chain and you just get to keep playing him forever so that will be an interesting experience when that Rolls around, but classing instructed, I definitely understand since one, it's so new, and the card pool is relatively low. And two, with heroes live and legend it out is also a really big shakeup as we're seeing now.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm curious how they utilize that live in legend format, and also how insane it ends up being. That'll that'll be fun to watch one way or another. So in in Magic, I don't know. I, I I'm again, I've been playing card games forever, but just kind of avoided Magic. So is it also the case that even if things changed, they're effectively archetypes that you know, this is this kind of deck. So we've seen this before and I know how my deck is supposed to play into this kind of deck and here's my answers to that archetype kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I feel similar happening in Fab where there's a fastest deck and if you're the fastest deck then you have to know how to beat the fastest deck and avoid control, et cetera, et cetera. And then all the way down to here's the control decks and here's how they're playing. So I think a lot of the skills can carry over even if decks change or heroes change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mike, do you want to talk about like the traditional archetypes and magic basically?
1: Yeah, I Yes, there's like not actually that many that I feel like were consistent between formats. The main ones are there's always some red, usually mono-red, aggressive deck where it's just playing cheap creatures that aren't particularly good to attack with and then a lot of very efficient burn spells to finish your opponent off after you attack with the creatures. This deck's always an aggressive deck and the ways to beat it are almost always the same. You need like ways to kill their little creatures or invalidate their little creatures and ways to gain life. And then there's always almost always some kind of blue base control deck that's trying to make the game go really, really long, take forever, draw a bunch of extra cards. Those players. yeah,
0: (laughs) Michael and I were those
1: players. (laughs) Very, very long, draw a bunch of cards, and then it'd have like usually one to six cards in their deck that actually could win the game out of their 60 card (laughs) deck. And they would just keep drawing out the game, eventually draw one or two of these big things that ended the game for them or won the game for them. Some of them, there were a lot of different ways to win the game than the control deck. But the point is that you drew the game out forever. You basically made it so that your opponent drew and did after a certain point wouldn't matter because the game was like already decided because it'd gotten so long. And then the other ones, I guess there's usually like some white based aggressive deck that's similar to the red deck, but usually their creatures are a little bit better and basically get buffs or give bonuses for having more creatures and they just attack a lot. And the main way to kill those is you play these cards that say destroy all creatures in play. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> tales all this time I mean I, it had to feel I, I've I've seen this recently it's been really nice to be able to test into a bunch of different kinds of decks but you know you, you kind of need the effectively the guardian players in your group to want to be playing guardian to get a lot of test games against guardian and it's hard to get a lot of test games because the games do go longer but one thing I was thinking about the other day is like and I wanted to ask you about when I was here I feel like in Orlando when you were on Old Him in that lightning briar meta like that had to be like one of the most amazing feelings in the world because even even now that I've and I've seen it is like when the games start going really long, like when we're on like the third pitch cycle of a deck, that's territory that as a you know a viscerai player like you don't get there very often. And so I feel like I don't know if it's true or not, but I just like to hear a little bit about your experience in Orlando because like I have to imagine it's uncomfortable for the player across the table who's used to a game ending in five turns to be on like turn fourteen and be asking the question, wait a second, how am I actually going to win this thing?
1: Yeah, it definitely did feel very good. I, Me and Roger basically booked our flights like a few days before the tournament because we're like, hey, this Lightning Briar deck is popping up out of nowhere. And I was like, I want to go because the deck I've been working on anyway beats it up really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like, you couldn't see, like, I, d- I don't think people were super uncomfortable when the games got to that point, but like... You could kind of tell when they knew they'd lost the game sometimes, even though they still had like eight health or whatever. That, yeah, <laughs> the game like, wait like
2: a it. second, I don't have a way to do this.
1: Yeah. You, you're <laughs> swinging the winners well for four to frostbite, and they look at their hand and they're like, if I block this, I can't play a functional turn. If I don't block this, I, I go to four and get a frostbite. And <laughs> the game's just like, yeah, yeah. And
2: that's amazing. That's such a, that's, that's absolutely the position you want to find yourself in. It's just like not on the deck everyone else is. And then the one that just, has a particularly and again you just have the reps right like you you know what it's like to be at that third cycle or this health against this hero so to you it's it's how every round's been going but to someone else like a lightning briar player it's like i played three rounds that all finished in 10 minutes (laughs) and then this is the first time where it's like wait a second i i'm supposed to get my 25 minute bathroom break like how how is i i I don't have time to go get a drink or a smoothie or whatever
0: and that kind of talks a little bit how i think people have approached the fab format in general where people don't try to innovate maybe as much as they should. There's been a little bit too much gravitation towards whatever the best deck is, where there have been counters to the best deck. I think maybe the only exception was Bravo, star of the show. But Chain, I think... Before he had, like, in the Chain Monarch era, he clearly had some good counters and counterplay to him where he could just fizzle out, especially after the Seeds ban. That's why Prism won Las Vegas, just by being a really good deck that beat up the Chains. Uh, Briar, I actually think the Briar Tales of Aria meta was super, like, interesting and diverse, and probably didn't need to be shaken up as much as it was, because there were just those first two, two weeks of, like, tournaments of like the aggressive deck performing well and then the holidays hit and then there weren't any more tournaments anymore. And people were just like, "Well, we have 2 weeks worth of tournaments, Briar's just busted." And it's like, "Okay."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely even on my so I was on Earthbrier from early on and I took earthbriar Briar to Nationals and the constructed half of that tournament went really well for me. The limited portion did not. But I I actually felt like even my Earthbrier, I was very comfortable into lighting Briar. I, I think I At least had a 50 50, if not more. And particularly if they were expecting me to also be on Lightning Briar and then they didn't know how to adjust, it was a very easy game. So I agree with you. I think Old Him, too. Clearly, there was an answer that beat him up. But, you know, I don't know how much you want the B deck slot to be Old Him block. Um, (laughs) Like if he's the C deck, you know, like, and the terminology there is like A deck being, it's really tier, not tier. It's just the, this is the, the in the air quotes one. best deck. Yeah, yeah, level one. And level two is the it beats the best deck. Uh and level three is it beats the deck that beats the best deck, uh, but maybe doesn't have incredible winning odds into the best deck. So a lot of times what this looks like in Fab is you have the aggro deck as number one, and then in response to the aggro deck, you have the control deck, and then in response to that you have like the prism style deck. All that to say, you know, if, do you want forty percent of your meta to be old him defense? reactions to stop the briar insanity how much is enough to get people to not necessarily just be at mass on briar kind of a thing i get it but you know i'm still sad that my one of my favorite cards in the entire game plunder run is no longer with us
0: yeah just that that whole turn effect was just a little little too good if it, if it just applied to the single card perfectly reasonable card i feel like
2: <laughs> man when i we were literally we've been playing for maybe six months and the whole time the first six months, I was like, Plunder Run is just so good. I love this card. And I didn't even realize until we were on stream one day that it actually applied to the whole turn. Like, I was all about that card before it worked that way. And once I found that out, I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is so good. Uh, I was also the Runeblade player. So, like, non-attack actions yeah. were productive for me. And extra cards, who would have thought, uh, are critically good out of Runeblade. So, that was just really funny. Like, six months in and i'm thinking it's the best card in the world and, and i'm just in shock that it's even better than that
0: <laughs> yeah they need to come out with a fixed version called like plunder jog or something that only applies to the press card
2: <laughs> plunder walk yeah
0: it's very funny well um i think that's all the questions i have is there anything else you want to ask michael before we start to wrap things up here
1: no i think i got all my questions
0: asked okay anything else for us zach before uh, we sign off
1: Man, I'm
2: I'm good. We, we get to talk, obviously, pretty pretty consistently given the uh, daily testing regimen right now. But uh, I do, again, just want to say uh, thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for, for putting the time in to do this content. Um, when you have really good players who are willing to have conversations like this publicly, I think that's very good for the game and the community at large. And I know it takes a lot of work. So I appreciate what you're doing. If you're out there making content, please keep doing it. I think content creators are the heartbeat of these communities and... Do a lot for these games that help everyone enjoy them, and I just super appreciate all of that. And uh, yeah, if you're, you're going to be in Lil, definitely say hello to the pack. And I wish everyone the best of luck. I'm I'm excited to you know we have basically about three weeks till uh, Lil as the time of this recording. Excited to see our process at work. And one thing I'd recommend too is just generally kind of last statement: don't don't fall in love with the outcomes. I think you have to you have to enjoy the process. And you have to be willing to iterate on the process. If you get tied to outcomes, all of a sudden not qualifying for nationals or losing a tournament or whatever can really make you stop enjoying the game. And at least for me, that's that's why I'm here. So I I recommend everyone take the risk, play the hero that you love and remember why you're here. But at the end of the day, the to me, like oh, the daily testing we're doing, the group we have has been so enjoyable. And so if you're gonna have a team, I you know, I I can't encourage enough having a team of people you enjoy being around and not just ones that you think might get you the results you're looking at. And I think, at least for me, that's been a really winning combo of just enjoyment and and happiness. So again, thank you guys for having me on. And uh, if you ever want me back, I'll be here. Sounds good. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah. You're never truly winning if you're not having fun. So that's just a good life lesson in general. Yeah. Thank you very much, Zach, for coming on. Of course. All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for your listening. Uh, remember to like, comment, and subscribe if you feel so inclined. And next time you're playing Flesh and Blood, remember, mind your banners. We'll see you next time.